What makes good sex good? <laughs> ah, great. The, the, the golden question. Trust and patience and talking. I wasn't scared to communicate what I wanted, and neither was she. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Peak, the talk show about what makes good sex good. I am your host, Robin Wheelock. And before we get started, I have a quick announcement. We have officially launched our Patreon account, and that is very exciting. Um, there are all different tiers of levels at which you can support us if you wish. They go from as small as $3 to as high as $100, depending on how much you have to give from your heart and wallet at this time. Um, the smallest amount or the smallest tier, like I said, is $3 and you get cool perks like the peak sticker, like a, the peak sticker and, um, knowledge that you can, that you are helping us produce this show and have meaningful conversations about sex. Anyways, today I am joined with my friend Kamiya. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing fine. You keeping well in the time of COVID? Oh my God. Um, as much as I can, I guess, uh, I, my mind runs wild. So that's what I'm really dealing with, trying to let all my creativity out in a healthy way. <laughs> Good. So the first time I met you was at Queer Diaries, which was a queer storytelling event in San Antonio. And you, you really took a hold over the room the moment you went on stage. You went up and said, I am a community healer, so I want to start off my time on stage with everyone taking a deep breath and releasing the tension. And it was it was a really magical moment. You really did release the tension in that room. Um, could we start with you talking a little bit about uh, your work as a community healer and what that means? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, believe it or not, that was actually my first time leading like a big, like healing, I, I guess, session, like an opening of one, you could say. Um, so that meant, that means a lot that that really touched you. Um, but I started a movement called hashtag change rape culture about a year ago. It's actually a year old. So that's really great. Um, but that's when I started to learn about healing through survivor representation and very honest conversations about trauma and things that we go through in life um, and finding ways to carve out spaces for that, not only for myself, you know, but for others that survive pretty terrible things on a daily basis. So, yeah. So tell us a little more about change rape culture. So change rape culture is what I like to call a movement. Um, I just graduated from UTSA with my degree in political science and a minor in legal studies. And there I did a lot of rhetoric um, and debate. I was on the debate team at UTSA and I was able to steer my research in a direction of rape culture, what that is, what that means, how society encapsulates that. So um, I started hashtag change rape culture at UTSA. Um, 
as a way to really just call out Title IX and the administration on campus and how they deal with survivor representation, as well as start an honest conversation with my girlfriends and just with people on campus about what goes on and change the culture, how we should not be afraid or ashamed of the fact that we, you know, share certain traumas. So um, from there, I protested openly, relentlessly at UTSA um, in the sun, in the rain, in the cafeteria, just anywhere that I could. I talked to the local news stations and I did what I could for San Antonio in terms of raising awareness. I think awareness is there, but I think confrontation of that awareness is where change rate culture stands. Mm hmm. So would you say that raising awareness is the primary goal of change rape culture? I would say that I would say that awareness is a very small part of it. Mm -hmm. um, calling out systems is is really the hard part. And by systems, I also mean social relationships, your friends, your partners. That's where the hard work comes in, um, is making spaces uncomfortable. And what I love to coin um, my protesters are killjoys. I'm a killjoy. Um, and I bring that from literature from Sarah Ahmed and living a feminist life. A killjoy is someone who happily kills other people's joy. Um, if it means that it's moving in a, I guess, a direction of progression and change. Wow. So, so the goal of change rape culture is to encourage people to actively and uncomfortably challenge rape culture when they see it in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's to change it. It's to speak up, um, in public places for others. It's to listen to someone. It's to give credit to their experience. It's to treat people like individuals and not a statistic or a number. It's a lot of things. Um, changing rape culture has really changed my life in a lot of ways because it's a daily commitment to make that decision, whether it be in your personal life or your work. And so, yeah, it's a movement. It's a movement. People call it an organization and I get it. Like we do organize, but we do a lot of other work as well. We, you know, we liberate sex workers. We include the queer community, which is hella important in these conversations of rape and sexual assault. So, yes. Right on. Of, what can you tell us about some of the work you've done with sex workers in the community? So um, I actually marched in pride with SWOOP, uh, which is the sex workers uh, outreach project here in San Antonio. Um, and I also, you know, have friends that are sex workers. I think being an ally and, and supporting that and also deciding what sex work means. Um, and if we participate in that, whether it be because we have a traditional sugar daddy or we have someone who gives us what they can when they can because they enjoy our conversation. Like, what is a sex worker, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, uh, really just speaking out, speaking out for sex workers, change rape culture is a very proud, proud supporter of the black trans community and all of the discrepancies that, well, I'm not a supporter of the discrepancies, of course, but of, of aiding those who do sex work, especially during this time. Speaking of, during um, the pandemic, we are promoting sex workers, Venmos, cash apps, and social medias. So, um, because they need to get paid too. So, Hell yeah. What else can you tell us about how you and the other participants of the change rape culture movement are both surviving the coronavirus pandemic and continuing to do the work that you're doing? Right. So, I mean, 
you know, to be honest, and, and I, I just, I have really loaded conversations with my friends all the time. Cause I just love to keep this kind of conversation around me. And what we were talking about was like, what, what the, what the pandemic means to me as a black woman, like, you know what I mean? Like living every day in America, um, as a African American woman, you know, K through 12 being taught that slavery is the beginning of my ancestry. Like all of these things considered is a pandemic, um, as impactful in my everyday life as a black woman, the violence that I face, um, as it is to others. So that's a question I've been, I've kind of been, you know, messing around with. And the answer is outreach, outreach through means of media, social media, uh, calling your friends, giving them a, a call. We now have time to do that. If you have the privilege of having time to do that. Um, so definitely just staying with it, keeping eye on the prize, knowing that domestic violence uh, is rising right now mm-hmm. at a time. Everybody's supposed to stay in place, um, staying woke, staying bothered just staying in the spirit. I feel like I'm on tangents. <laughs> I don't think you're on tangents at all. Um, so what have been some of the joys and challenges of starting this movement and running with it? Wow. The joys and the challenges, the joys that come with it are, Every time somebody tells me that they thought they were alone and they're not alone. And and as cliche as that might sound with all of these campaigns about how you're never alone, um, when it comes to violence and how quickly society tends to etch a red A on somebody's chest for being a sex worker or for being a single mother, you know, um, all of those things considered the bittersweet moments are unification. It's the beauty and like knowing that someone else out there may have not gone through exactly what you've gone through because it's your experience, but that we all kind of have trauma in a way. And it's okay. It's okay to say that. And it's okay to rise up from that. Um, the struggle, the struggle would be, shoot, my mind, knowing everything that I know, hearing everything that I hear, um, and being discouraged because rape culture very much so does exist. And because it exists, other people deny. Um, and they gaslight me and they make me don't be too loud, Kimia. Don't say too much. Don't fight too hard. And it's like, what's too hard? What's too much? And what's too loud for survivors of rape? Please tell me that. And when you can answer that question, maybe we'll get somewhere. But until then, I'm going to scream as loud as I fucking can. So the struggle is uh, all of the opposing opinions. People you know, disliking me or, or accusing me of whatever the case might be because of how I advocate for change. Well, you're still doing really, really amazing work in the community. In addition to change rape culture, you also helped organize the recent 30th annual International Women's March for in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I will just say in this episode I've been to quite a few marches in my life, and while this one was not the biggest, it was by far the most passionate. Just like you and the other organizers who were chanting the entire time kept the energy so high and kept the passion so high. It was really a sacred experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the the Women's March, we have been planning that since November. Wow. So it was written around San Antonio. We, we met up at like Pizza Classics and um, 
where else did we meet up? But La Botanica on the strip and stuff. We would meet up every Wednesday and plan this. And so it was really great. It was really great uh, for down everything from like T-shirt sizes to park permits. It was a whole thing. And it was really cool to do that from a generational standpoint. So the International Women's Day March in San Antonio was started by a group of lesbian Chicana feminists. And so every year it's been carried down generationally. Like it's something that's literally passed down ancestrally. Um, and so it's really cool to see that be alive in 2020. I don't know. It was really cool. Um, and you are right that the previous year was super dope, but like this year there was something in the air. Like our ancestors were really with us that mm-hmm. day. So it was a blessing and change rep culture is super happy to be a part of it always. Good. Well, I would like to move into the personal questions about you. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe your sexual identity and personality? So I, um, at one time I called myself bisexual. Um, and you know, after really kind of understanding, conceptualizing and studying queer literature and just queerness period, I now identify as queer because I just feel like queer. And I said this in queer diaries, Queer is a really good way to say none of your fucking business. Um, And so I really feel like, you know, while I could bring it down to bisexuality, I like to say that I'm in I'm what is the word? I am attracted to who I'm attracted to. Um, And that's how I live my life. And my personality is I'm super free. Um, When my family found out about my queerness, they were like, "Okay, that's Kamiya. Kind of just blowing with the wind (laughs) and doing what she wants to do. So, um my personality. It's a lot of things. It's hard to narrow down. Cool. What can you tell us about your first time having sex or a significant early sexual experience? Wowzers. So good Lord Jesus. Okay. Virginity is literally a social construct and I, that's not, that's curriculum within change rape culture that I really educate is like re- virginity and religion and all of those things are means in which rape culture is perpetuated because it's like a lot of rape and, and surviving of that has to do with this label of virginity. Mm-hmm. Okay, And I find it funny also as a queer person because my first sexual experience was like hella young, like younger than five. I'm pretty sure I was like four. Um, and it was with a girl. And so like, I don't know. I was a virgin, right? I didn't have sex or any insertion until I was a senior in high school. So it's like ah, my myself or my former closet self. Um, both of those included my first sexual experience. I made out with um, a girl. She was in my pre-K class. Pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. Consent was there. Consent was definitely there. Um, kids do and should practice consent. That's something a part of change rape culture, but my best uh, interactions sexually have been consensual. Just want to put that out there. Very good. Yes. Yeah. And I'd like to acknowledge what you said about virginity being a social construct and a pretty harmful one at that. Um, Because I make a point not to ask people, when did you lose your virginity? Because I don't think that that's a very 
useful question and it can be a harmful one. Um, but I do think it's valuable to explore and talk about like, how did we, like, how did we first begin to explore our sexuality? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, that's actually a really great question. I had to think about that when I had seen it um, before the interview. I was like, damn, Ed, going mm-hmm. on back. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I also know that not everyone's first time having sex was a positive experience. It's not always consensual. It's not always a good time. So that's part of why I chose to broaden that question and include or a significant early sexual experience so that whoever is talking to me has the option to answer that question in a way that suits them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's what I'm saying. Like when you when you include your sexuality and you include like um, firsts and things like that and on the spectrum of like heteronormativity, um, going back and being honest with myself and saying, OK, pause. My first real experience was when I was younger and it was with the girl. It was it was cute. A little smooch. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you think about that experience as a child? So I like I liked it and I liked it. I knew that I liked her um, and it just happened. And I kind of just went about my little day. And I think that's what kids do. Like kids don't aren't sexualized yet. And even these little acts of quote unquote first sexual experiences, especially when they're like natural mm-hmm. um, and very organic. Uh, they just happen and kids go along. You know, there's no erotic fantasy. There wasn't no erotic fantasy involved with mine. I was little, um, but I liked it. I, I thought it was, it was great. Um, even looking back on it. So yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So what can you tell us about some of your best sexual experiences? Oh my God. Uh, okay. My best sexual experiences wow okay so being super transparent I really um enjoy sex I yeah I don't think I think I was celibate for like six months once god that was a whole soul-searching thing it was wonderful but you know here we are okay my best sexual experience damn I was supposed to think about this wasn't I um Okay, so do I just name them or do I just... Um, maybe don't necessarily give their names. No, not their names. Not their names. Like, just name the times. It's up to you. You can set the scene and tell us what happened, or you can just tell us about how it made you feel. feel. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Okay, so um, <laughs> one time... Um, it was, yeah, I remember it was, it was, it was a nice little, nice little time that we had. It was a Halloween party. I was a sexy witch. Um, and I, um, my partner at the time was like, you're not going to make it in there. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and they were like, yeah, no, you're not going to make it in there. Just hang tight. We'll send your friends in. And I thought they wanted to talk about something. And so my friends basically went inside and we had the best car sex I think I've like ever had um and car sex is great because it's like you can work with so many different angles 
And like the, the ceiling is also like a tool that you can use. And so it was just really great. And long story short, we didn't make it in the party. The cop <laughs> rolled up like right when we were putting our clothes back on. And um, yeah, and the windows were steamy. So, you know, it was good. It was really good. Um, but like the costume, the kink, like it was all there and it was unexpected. And like, I was like, damn, do I miss, am I sad I missed that party? But I got some good sex in return. So that's one of them. Um, and then another time was I, okay. So the thing about me is I'm very, I, I, and this is just me. I find sex to be a very um, spiritual exchange. Um, I find that sex is like a, a transfer of energy. And I know that a lot of people don't feel that way. Some people are like, ah, sex is just sex. But for me, physically, it's a transfer of energy, whether that be, I don't know, energy for my day or energy that I want to give this person. And even making someone pleasure, pleasuring someone is energy transfer. Um, so I'm not... All of this being said, I'm not somebody who necessarily like enjoys receiving. I will, I love giving head, but receiving is like, you gotta be a special one. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta be really special in my heart. Um, and so I remember this one time I had this pair of panties. I kid you not. They are my lucky pair. They're velvet. Um, I actually got them. I forgot where I got them. Damn it. But they're still holding up. And every time I wear these, I swear. Um, and so <laughs> <laughs> this time that I wore these, actually, the person that I was talking to at the time, this was the first time that we had a oral um, exchange. And I think I came like three times, three times. And so um yeah, that was a really, really great time. Also, because like I said, it's kind of like a wall for me. Receiving oral sex is like letting a wall down. Mm -hmm. So I think that included and in allowing it to be this uh, physical yet like exclusive experience was so great. And I truly believe that orgasms are psychological. So I feel like with all of that being included, it was like so great. I think I like was on cloud nine all day. All that stuff released from coming, you know, the plums, the, the, the whatever they call it. <laughs> the endorphins. The endorphins, yes. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I have good sex. I really do. I have good sex. I can't complain. It's kind of hard to narrow it down. Um, but have I had bad sex? Yes, we all have. <laughs> I hope I'm not alone in that. I think we all have. I, I mean, probably. But. <laughs> Maybe not. I've, I've, I had a conversation with an older woman one time and I said something about, it's like, well, it's like some women can't orgasm. And she was like, some women can't orgasm. She's like, I come every time. And I'm like, really good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard that too. And I was like a lot, like what a life to live. Like how, like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a, I can't, I can't come that easily. I, I do envy those who can though. So, yeah. It's, it's all a journey. Mm-hmm. So, on the topic of very good sex, in your opinion, what makes good sex good? 
Hmm. What makes good sex good? Ugh. So, like, consent. That's first and foremost. That's the most important. Um, you want that consent to be there. Otherwise, I don't see how it should or would work. Um, and then after you get, to, also, like, who doesn't want somebody to be like, yes, fuck me. Like, please, right now, you fuck me. I would like that. Can this happen? And then you'd be like, yeah, like, that's so hot. I don't see. Anyways, um, that's awesome. Um, but good sex, I feel like, is an understanding, too. It's like communicating, like, this, this, I think we should try this position, um, cause I feel like it would feel good for me and trying the position, damn it. Like what, what do you have to lose? Almost like you have somewhere to be, but even then, like, <laughs> well, to be late at that, in that case, I, I actually don't mind being late to places if it's because I was having sex. I'm like fashionably late, sexually late, like whatever. Um, but that's super cool. Like having an understanding, being very flexible about your body, like, you know, consensually being like, yeah, I think we can try that position. Um, openly communicating during sex, laughing during sex. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like if something like if it's like, you know, farts slip out or something happens Mm -hmm. Um, and giggling about it, like, you know, laughing it off. I think that's really great. Um, But I'm particular. It depends on your kink and your mood and what's going on. So, yeah, I think communication and understanding um, and passion for me. I'm a, I'm a Leo. I'm a hopeless romantic with a cancer rising. So um, <laughs> that's just my energy. I'm very sensual. But I think understanding is dope in any situation. Do you have any kinks? Any kinks? Hmm. Do I have any kinks, Robin? This is a really good question. You've, you've okay. mentioned kinks a couple of times. I have mentioned kinks, but just because I really like to make space for them. And that's because, like, acknowledging people's experiences are so important to me. Um, and, and we also have to have conversations about what LD kinks are, right? Because, like, you know, there are these categories on Pornhub and shit that are so problematic when we talk about sex and kinks and fantasies. And so it's like that's also changing rape culture is holding people accountable within their fantasies, like being like, that wait, that's weird. Why do you want her to dress like she's way younger than she is? That's strange. You know what I'm saying? So those kinds of, like, calling people out, having those conversations. Anyways, um... I w- okay, so while I think about my kinks, I will say that we all have spots, I feel like, physically as human beings. Um, and my spot are my nipples. Like, it's like a water, it's like opening the, the floodgate. Like, stimulating my nipples is just, I'm a, I'm really a titty person. I really enjoy <laughs> my titties. I enjoy others' titties. I think boobs are amazing. So, and my neck too. Oh my God, I can't, I would squirm square with my neck um kinks that's a good question what are yours robin (laughs) all my guests have been asking me questions lately and um i so my official stance on answering questions is if someone invites me onto their podcast and wants to ask me about my sexuality I'm happy to talk about it, but I feel as though, I feel as though while I'm conducting, 
I don't know why, but I feel like I can't talk about it on my own show. Fair enough. Fair it's, enough. Just a, it's just a boundary. Apparently. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. But for real, if some if someone listening really wants to have a conversation where I'm in the hot seat and I'm the one answering the questions, you can set up that interview. I'll do it, but I won't do it here. Okay. Okay. I like I like your boundaries. I like that you have them. And I also am curious now. Interesting. Well, Camille, if you want to have a private conversation when we're done recording, we can do that. <laughs> okay, we can. We can. And maybe by then I'll have some cooked up, but I really can't, like, I'm, I'm super, like, open sexually to any experience. So it's kind of hard to say that I have kinks because those are things I feel like you put into place. Um, but, yeah, like, women are great. <laughs> they are. They really are. So... With all of this work that you do surrounding sex and consent and queerness, I'm curious about what your sexual education was like. Trash. It was trash. I, I have literally had to wiggle my way out of the goddamn abstinence hole that is known as my former hometown. Um, in my hometown, actually, I was the president of student council, and I remember begging, going before the school board and begging them to have a safe sex fact week because we had the highest rate of, I believe it was chlamydia or syphilis in the, the state of Texas at the time when I was in high school. So I went to the school board and I was like, hey, can we do like one safe sex fact on this intercom at, you know, over announcements or whatever a week? And they were like, no, abstinence, like our students are abstinent. I was like, that's funny, because that's definitely not what the statistics say. That's not what my friends say, but all right. So, um, and then also I grew up in a household, Baptist Christian, um, whereas, like, your body is a temple, which it is, but, like, you know, if you have sex with men, blah, 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 like, if you have sex, if you have sex. So it was more of a choice to keep my virginity until virginity until I was 17. Um, but that also came with a lot of traumatic conversations that I would have with people who I feel like forced abstinence, you know, in my brain and in my life. Um, and, I, and I don't feel like those are honest conversations. I really don't. I don't, I don't feel, I feel like abstinence is not a realistic conversation per se. Um, for some folk, not for all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, my sexual education growing up was super like, I didn't know, like when I, like, for example, getting wet, like I didn't know what that meant when it would happen. I would just thought I was going through puberty or whatever the case might be. I didn't know what was going on. So those little things like arousal, like all of those are, it was just very choppy. Mm -hmm. When did you learn about consent? <sighs> Recently. I won't even lie to you. When I started Change Rape Culture, I learned about consent. And even then, it's a blurry line. It is a blurry line. Not for me, but I feel like what I see in society and how it functions, it's a big blurry line. Um, and I, I, I recently had learning about consent and how that works meant unpacking several, several demons and several situations in which I, it completely went over my head. Um, and so having that realization of consent paired with like all of those emotions, you know, rushing back. Um, it was gravitational. It was very pulling. It was very, um, deep, mm -hmm. very deep. It, it, I'd have to, like, I had to unpack. 
I mean, I feel like we all do once we really understand what conversations of consent consist of and how they show themselves in our lives. And, and that's, you know, when, when I go and I speak to younger students who are annoyed with these conversations of consent, because you're right, they're very safe. They're very, um, in my opinion, bland. And um, so I try to get as far away from what I say is like the pamphlet of a um, of a domestic abuse a pamphlet in a, a doctor's office, you know, like how you're you're in a doctor's office or you're in a waiting room and they have those pamphlets about consent and abuse and all of those things. And they're very textbook and there are actors and shit, you know, and, and it's just like, no, that's not consent. That's not what it looks like. It's not that black and white and it's not that easy to come to terms with. Um, and, and I think consent is super fluid. And the, and the sooner that we have that understanding, the better, because you can you can literally your consent can leave in the middle of sex or close to the end of it. It doesn't have to be there the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Well, it has to be there the whole time. But I'm saying like at any point that you feel like consent is getting blurry or hard, um, it's valid. And and mm-hmm. once we start talking about that, we'll be good to go. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's an ongoing conversation, and that's that's the only advice I have, but I feel like just having an ongoing conversation will get you pretty far. Oh, yeah, and like I said, nothing feels better than, yes, you can kiss me, or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, oh, it's like, yes, this is, this is going to happen in this moment of time, and we're both here, you know? Nothing's mm-hmm. better, nothing's better than that. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as I think people imagine, like, oh, it would be so hot to have completely wordless sex and have everything just flow into the moment, and maybe there's a little bit of ambiguity. And sure, if that's something that you guys have already decided on, that's fine. But it's also, like you said, super, super hot to have someone be like, can I kiss you? Or like, what do you want? Like, Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, talk about a kink. Like, if we're if we're going back to kinks, that's my kink. Like, look me dead in my eyes and tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what, you know, what is what is okay for me to do. Um, and I can keep we can keep our eyes on each other the whole time. That's hot. That's a kink of mine. <laughs> Being super direct and um, upfront, I guess you could say. Um, but you're right. These nonverbal cues are are they're there and they're healthy, but uh, yeah, that that navigation is super important. I love that. Consent is my kink. <laughs> Consent is my kink. Yeah, especially be the name of the episode or something. <laughs> I will have it be the name of the episode. Yay! So what have you learned from sex over the years? What have I learned? I have learned that... Sex is something that I take seriously um, because I'm a very spiritual person. And I like I said, I believe in I literally cleanse my home. I, I very much practice um, karma and like how that works out in the universe and things. And so I, I treat sex with the same sentiment. I see it as a tra- energy transfer. Like I said, I really have learned that sex is a spiritual um, transfer for me. Um, and I've learned that. I, I don't want to say I need it, but it's great to have. It's great to have. And physically, I feel like it's very important to be open about it. Um, 
Yeah. And I'm, and I'm learning that it grows too with age. Like every year that I grow older, uh, my sentiment about sex changes or there's something that I want more of, or there's something that I want less of the older I get, I'm learning. I want less of like casual hookups per se. And, and while I am well-versed in conversations about uh, polyamory and monogamy and things like that, um, I really do find that sex should never be a concrete barrier within those practices. Like, sex should be treated as something that is sacred to me. What do you mean by a concrete barrier? So I feel like in conversations of monogamy, conversations of monogamy and polyamory are very centered around um, sexual activity, in my opinion. So like um, people who judge others who have open relationships, will usually use, oh, they just want to go have sex with other people. And that's oh, that's so far from the case. Um, that's very far from the case. Indigenous folk actually were polyamorous. Monogamy was. Uh, is is actually um, newly introduced, in my opinion, culturally um, to indigenous folk. But it was more so like who you have a vibe with, like who you're vibing with, what's up, like and a physical thing. If physicality comes, then it comes. Um, but I do feel like, like I said, sex is this concrete barrier that's very hard to get past when we have conversations about open relationships because um, it's just sexualized. This idea of being open is sexualized. It's it's not open to the idea of of sharing um, thoughts or ideas or, or space or whatever. It's just about sex. And so that's what I meant. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like I said, I'm a total, total bookworm. I read a lot. Um, and I really, really, really liked to pay respect to my ancestors and look back at how they how they did those things. Um, and what I have learned is, like I said, that things are very sexualized and it's just about also cheating. For example, a lot of people think that cheating only happens when something physical occurs. And that's not even the case. That's not even the case. And what does cheating mean in an open relationship? What does cheating mean in a monogamous relationship? What does cheating mean sexually? So. Do you consider yourself polyamorous? I don't right now, um, but I do feel as though when I am quote unquote single, when I don't have like a monogamous understanding with somebody, I do live by that principle. Um, other people call it having hoes. I don't like that terminology. Um, I like to call it. I like to, because I have an understanding with every person that I'm with. I'm like, okay, we have this, we have this connection and this is what we do. And this is the time we do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how I live my life. So I guess you could say like when I'm, when I don't have a monogamous understanding with someone, I am open. Um, mm-hmm. but when I do, I do. So <laughs> right on. Mm-hmm. Well, those are all of the questions that I had written down for you. Is there anything else you'd like to share for the li- share with the listeners um wow i'm trying to think other than hashtag change rape culture consent please i hope you allow it to be your kink it's a great kink of mine that i have discovered um and if you ever need anything just find me near your biggest bullhorn i'll be there screaming beautiful is there a way that the listeners can support change rape culture Yes. So you can follow us on Instagram at uh, change rape culture, C-H-N-G-R-P-E-C-L-T-R on Instagram. 
Um, and then you can follow me on social media at Kimia, K-I-M-I-Y-A, two underscores, D-E-N-I-S-E. And then you can also visit our website at www.changerapeculture.org. Um, and there you can kind of see how the movement began and what direction it's going in. Um, we're very active in the community. We help plan the Women's Day March. We have art exhibits. Uh, we try to do things to help um, immigrants in San Antonio and fight ICE because fuck ICE. ICE should be abolished. Um, so, yeah, look out for us and, and reach out if you ever need anything, even if it's to talk. Awesome. Well, I will definitely be reaching out to you again sometime just to talk off the air. And um, I will include all of your social media information in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much. I, of course. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm super. This was great during this quarantine hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have so many interviews scheduled. It's awesome. Everyone's finally free. <laughs> Yay, I know. I'm terrible with technology. I'm so sorry about Skype's past. It's okay. <laughs> you sound fine. Thank you. All right. Take it easy, Camille. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which was hosted and produced by me, Robin Wheelock. Our theme music was produced by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow The Peak on Facebook, or on Twitter and Instagram at Listen to the Peak. For more information, visit us at thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you want to support the Peak, you can make a contribution to our Coffee, Venmo, or PayPal accounts so that we can make better and more frequent episodes for you. You can also support us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or wherever it is you listen. Thank you.